It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Flagship station of the ECU Pirates. And a uh, very pleasant hello again, everybody. Uh, P-Man here with you. It is a huge day on the show uh, because we're going to talk uh, college football's national championship last night, the uh, CFP championship. Scoop Sampson himself, Joey Football, will be uh, with us here on the program. So we're looking forward to talking some ball. With uh, our guy Joe Sampson, uh, we'll also talk about uh, some of the comings and goings in the NFL, so that'll be a lot of fun coming up uh, later on. Uh, in the hour here on the PJ Show, in uh, what is a day uh, that is uh, really, really concerning as far as the weather goes. Uh, so uh, we're going to go to the uh, phone lines when Pilk tells me we're ready, as Phil, the ref Pilkington is producing the show. He tells me he's ready. Uh, we're going to go to the phone lines where Storm Team 9 and meteorologist David Sawyer joins us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Anytime we have uh, questionable weather, uh, hurricanes, snow, or bad weather like this with storms, we turn to the one and only David <laughs> Coach Podge Sawyer joining us uh, here. Uh, David, great to talk to you. Happy New Year. I hope it was a great holiday. I enjoyed your uh, appearance on the WNCT 70th anniversary show. It was great. Uh, it was um, it just uh, brought back a flood of memories, pardon the pun, uh, as you were. Uh, they had the footage of you in the helicopter touring eastern North Carolina after yeah. Floyd. Uh, what a traumatic uh, uh, time. But uh, it, it took me back to what a great job that you and your colleagues did uh, mm. at uh, Channel 9 uh, during that uh, period of our our life. So, uh, anyway, uh, thank you for joining us here. Um, look, I, I just looking at some of the videos, uh, from the deep south yesterday and even the panhandle of Florida today. I mean, it's, it's classic tornado devastation, uh, yeah. with this uh, system that is coming through. I, I mean, just, it looks like a, a house has been hit by a bomb and exploded in a lot of these, these cases. So, uh, yeah. we'll just let you kind of explain what's going on here this evening and, uh, what people, can anticipate uh, over the next several hours. Absolutely, Patrick. As always, such a just—it's an honor to to be a part of your program in this type of situation. To to be a resource for our listeners and uh, to share the very latest as to what we're you know what we're seeing and what we're expecting moving forward. Uh, just as an overview, uh, you're right, Patrick. This is a powerful storm system. Um, it is a winter storm system, interestingly, even though we're on the right side or the east side of this particular storm system, which means that we have a lot of warm, unstable air that's moving ahead of the actual cold front that will be ramming up against this unstable, very moist air mass this afternoon. And that's why we do have this severe weather potential across the listening area for the remainder of this afternoon and on into tonight. Uh, this system, I emphasize, is not a tropical storm or it is not a tropical nature system. In, in contrast, it is what we call a cold core system, 
But the reason I bring the tropical nature into the conversation is because wind is wind. And when you're talking about winds over 75 miles per hour, which will be likely and will happen, especially Mm. for those along the coast of North Carolina this afternoon and this evening, I think it brings it into perspective to say hurricane force winds. But, Patrick, I know you agree we're not trying to confuse uh, the issue here by saying that it's a hurricane. It's not. It's a tropical-like uh, wind field, but it is not a tropical system. So as we do, I always and I really, really find this to be myself so beneficial, Patrick, as you uh, lead our visit on air. Uh, you know, we take a tour around the listening area. Uh, I'll tell you what we're seeing and what we can expect time-wise and impacts-wise uh, moving through the rest of the day and on into this evening. I would like to say that we do have a tornado watch in effect for the majority of eastern North Carolina through this evening, uh, where that means conditions are favorable for storms to have rotation and could produce tornadoes, which we do have several warnings that are active as we speak to the west of the listening area uh, into this uh, early to mid-afternoon hour. All right, uh, and uh, as you're with us here in the middle of the afternoon, uh, we'll kind of uh, do this incrementally. Uh, this is coming from the uh, west across to the east. So let's start in our listening area with uh, kind of the corridor uh, east of I-95 uh, from the uh, Wilson area, say, to uh, to Farmville and uh, Greenville, basically from – I-95 to 11 or 17, what uh, what are you looking at there, west to east, north to south? Perfect. Uh, I think that's a perfect uh, divider, once again, that corridor. Let's go from I-95 to the uh, North Carolina Highway 11, U.S. 13 corridor. So, yes, that first segment. Uh, Patrick, we are looking at a solid line of these thunderstorms now across the Piedmont of North Carolina. That would include between Greensboro High Point and, say, Burlington as it's moving to the east. Uh, there's another segment that is forming to the west of the Sand Hills that is going to be moving just north of Fayetteville within the next 30 minutes to an hour. That's type of segmenting, segmenting type of storm, uh, type, what we call a squall line, Patrick. Those are going to be moving into the, those listening from the I-95 corridor toward the U.S. Highway 11. So that would indeed include areas east of Raleigh. That would include Wilson, Goldsboro, Rocky Mount, Farmville, Snow Hill, um, you know, Aiden, Greenville, Bethel on up into western Martin County. Uh, that will be coming in within the next two to three hours. So we're looking at a window between 4 p.m. and probably around 7 p.m. for this round of these intense thunderstorms to move through this portion. So again, with that, winds already are up around 30 to 40 miles per without any thunderstorms. Gusts will very likely exceed 60 miles per hour for some of these cells, Patrick, as they move into this region. Again, between I-95 and the U.S. Um, Highway 13, North Carolina Highway 11, that portion of the listening area will see this between, say, 4 p.m. and around 7 p.m. Uh, this afternoon into this evening. And uh, I'll pause again and let you take us yeah. to the next location where uh, that's what we can expect. So, once again, heavy downpours. Make sure that you are you know, in a safe place. Make sure that if a warning is issued for your area, 
get to the lowest level of your home, away from windows. We know that routine, staying, of course, in a safe place until the storm moves through, if a warning is issued for those in the listening area that, that of course, will receive those warnings if necessary. All right, David Sawyer, Storm Team 9 is with us. Uh, we're talking about this uh, terrible winter storm that is uh, bringing thunderstorms to eastern North Carolina. Uh, and really, uh, all of North Carolina and, uh, uh, gusty winds, winds that would be hur- hurricane strength, uh, blowing yep. through, uh, the area. All right. So from, uh, 11, 13 to 17, uh, I know that's kind of a narrow Perfect. swath, uh, but take us through that, say from, uh, Kinston, uh, Washington to New Bern, that area. Perfect. Yes. Kinston, Washington, New Bern, Greenville, east of Highway 1113, uh, over to Highway 17. That's a perfect next section to talk about, Patrick, in the listening area. So that would mean, uh, areas like, um, Aiden, Grifton, uh, Vanceboro, New Bern, southward to, um, say, Trenton and Jones County, up to Washington and western Beaufort County, and then extending, of course, up into Martin County over toward Williamson. I'm expecting that line between 5 p.m. and around 8 p.m. for this region of the listening area for that segmented line of intense thunderstorms. A couple of waves of those storms will move through this portion of our listening area between the 5 to 8 p.m. time frame. And with that, again, there will be intense, heavy downpours possible, very gusty winds in and around the storms. And within those storms, winds could easily exceed, again, 50 to 60 miles per hour, which will do damage. And I think I'd like to interject right there, Patrick, that Mm -hmm. anyone Mm -hmm. listening needs to make sure that they have their cell phone fully charged, because power outages will be likely before the day is done. And if you lose power, of course, you want to make sure that your cell phone is charged up. And, of course, hopefully we will have power restored uh, quickly, as we sure appreciate um, those with the power companies that get out in this treacherous weather and, and get our power back on as soon as possible. All right. Uh, David Sawyer with us from Storm Team 9. Uh, from areas of Highway 17 on towards the coast, uh, I would suspect, uh, they're, they're anticipating, uh, as you've alluded to here, even gustier winds or stronger winds. And, uh, what's the time frame for, for what, uh, those, those communities are looking at? Yeah. It, indeed, Patrick. Let's now go east of U.S. Highway 17 for the inner banks, the outer banks, coastal counties within uh, eastern North Carolina. What I'm expecting here, Patrick, is, number one, very, very strong, sustained winds from the south and southeast are really p- piling water up into the Pamlico River Basin. I received a video, actually, from a good friend of mine who said that the storm surge, the water building rapidly along the uh, northern shores of the Pamlico River, that would include Bath, Bellhaven, uh, this, and, and even on back toward Richards Beach, as you get back into mm-hmm. the western portions of Beaufort County, water rises are now approaching four to five feet above ground level. So this is definitely a almost a tropical storm or hurricane storm surge type of situation, which is not surprising to us. We were expecting this, but it is happening as we speak. So we do have coastal flood concerns for our down east counties. In addition, to the threat of severe thunderstorms that we're already talking about. And the time frame for that, Patrick, would probably say be 6 p.m. to around 10 p.m. for this portion, whereas I repeat your point, this area could see wind gusts exceeding hurricane force at times from, say, Downey's mm. Carteret County 
for the inner banks, say mainland Hyde County, out toward the outer banks, Hyde County, which would include, say, Cape Hatteras and Ocracoke, and extending southward even on into Jones as well as Onslow County in the coastal sections of eastern North Carolina with those heavy, heavy, squally thunderstorms and the sustained winds that are already happening with this powerful storm system. So uh, you talk about sustained winds. Uh, When the squall line comes through your community, wherever you're listening to us uh, from, uh, how long can you expect those? Is it just that kind of squall of of winds and then the wind is over, or are there winds kicked up behind this this front? And and, and how long would you expect those winds to, to last? That's a, that's another great question, Hatrick. This will not be a, you know, a, a quick hit and done. What will happen is almost like what we call a bell curve. Basically, the winds are going to continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger. They will peak out or they will reach their maximum in the time frames that we've just outlined within the different mm-hmm. portions of the listening area this evening. Then behind the actual cold front, the winds will become westerly. And I'm really glad you went there. Because, Patrick, one more point I want to make, especially for those with coastal interest listening to us this afternoon, what's going to happen when the winds become west, west direction up from the west after the cold front passes through later on this evening? That west wind is actually going to push all this piled up water, say, in the Pamlico and Noose River basins pushing that back out into the Pamlico Sound, and that's going to cause significant what we call sound side flooding for anyone that has interest along the Outer Banks, down East Carteret mm-hmm. County. That's called the, what's called the swash of that water moving back out. But for, in, for the inland areas, the west wind will still be quite brisk, Patrick, through the remainder of the night, but the severe weather threat will come to an end by midnight tonight. Then things will, will calm down considerably, uh, into Wednesday. And then it's a, you know, then it's a matter of assessing any damage that has happened. And also, of course, uh, the concerted effort to get power back on for those that do lose power with this situation. I have one more uh, thing I want to ask you uh, before we kind of summarize this. Usually, as you get later in the day um, during warm weather months, the the fuel, if you will, for these storms kind of goes away. Uh, mm-hmm. if the sun is taken out of the equation. Um, you know that that certainly. So, in other words. When you have these fronts that pass through in the uh, spring or, or maybe parts of the summer, mm-hmm. that could be tornadic. Yeah. Uh, you know, at night, unless it's uh, just an amazingly powerful storm system, which which can occur, uh, you're looking yeah. at, yeah. you know, you're looking at a less likelihood. So why is it that later in the day, because uh, this thing has even gained momentum overnight, uh, we were mm-hmm. being told this morning by, by NWS, uh, and and yep. look what it's done in, in certain places already today. So how is it that this thing is so powerful as it goes through and, and into tonight? What, what's the phenomena scientifically behind that? You definitely would, would, would definitely like to go there, Patrick. Let's talk about the situation that you beautifully outlined and introduced for us here. There's two two main schools of understanding behind a severe weather event. The one where you're talking about where the daytime heating comes in, that's what we call a thermodynamic, meaning heat is fueling the thunderstorms that build and grow, and that in turn creates the severe thunderstorms. The other possibility is what we're experiencing this time. It's what we call a dynamic 
system. What that simply means is the way the jet stream, which is the upper and mid-level winds above us, they are flowing so fast right now that it's essentially causing, it's what we call Bernoulli's principle. It causes Mm -hmm. the air to lift just like an airplane wing. In fact, that's how an airplane wing works. The air moves faster over the top of the wing the slower movement of the air underneath the wing causes the lift of an airplane wing. Same thing with the atmosphere. The fast-moving winds above us, the dynamics of the wind field, Patrick, is not only fast, it's also rotating as you go up in the atmosphere, and that's what's putting the spin into the atmosphere that could produce those rotating thunderstorm cells that could produce those tornadoes even into the evening without the sunshine. So that's why this is a dynamic system that is being fueled by just fast-flowing winds above us that is definitely possibly translating to the ground. That can cause both what we call microbursts, which are straight-line winds, or if that rotation is happening, it can produce a quick-moving or even a longer-track tornado uh, in this type of environment. Wow. Um, really, really quick again, uh, it, from west to east, what can you expect out of this uh, system if you're listening to us here this afternoon? Right. Listening now live, of course, we are looking at the uh, Storm Lab 9 radar. Uh, the, the main squall line is in between Greensboro and Raleigh, just to give you a kind of general ballpark of where the main line of these severe thunderstorms are. But I'm so glad that you've asked for that recap, Patrick, because we have what's called discrete individual cells that are also forming out ahead of this main line. And that's why we do have the chance of severe weather all across the listening area for the remainder of this afternoon on into this evening. And then we await that main line of squally thunderstorms that we've been outlining in our conversation. They will move through uh, the I-95 to um, North Carolina Highway 11, those corridors between 4 and 7 p.m., for uh, Highway 11 to U.S. Highway 17 mm-hmm. between 5 and 8 p.m. And then for the coastal areas, for those have coastal interest uh, within the listening area, coastal interest, the main line moving through, uh, you know, between that late afternoon, early evening hour through around mid to late evening, uh, say from, say, 6 p.m. all the way to around 10 p.m. as I see it right now. But let me emphasize again, Patrick, individual what called discrete cells are forming, too. So everyone needs to be weather aware for the rest of this afternoon all the way into this evening with this severe weather threat in eastern North Carolina. Yeah. Hey, uh, David Sawyer with us from uh, Storm Team Night. Thank you so much. Always great to uh, to speak to you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, there he goes, David Sawyer from Storm Team Nine. Hey, be safe out there, folks. Uh, Joey Football. We're going to talk last night's Natty. Talk some uh, pro ball. Cheeseburger in Paradise. The uh, the favorite tune of uh, Joey Football, a uh, a true parrot head if there ever is one. All right, uh, stay tuned. We'll uh, kick it around with uh, Scoop Sampson next on the Patrick Johnson Show. Have you noticed he's in his own little happy hour? We're back to the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the happy hour program. Here's the P-Man. All right. uh, Welcome back in Patrick Johnson Show. 
Pirate basketball coming up tomorrow night. East Carolina left last night uh, ahead of this uh, storm system to uh, go to Philadelphia for their game tomorrow night. So rather than trying to travel on uh, game day, which was an option, uh, they decided to go ahead and leave last night. Pirates uh, arriving up at the city of brotherly love where they have uh, set up camp and uh, will be ready tomorrow for uh, basketball, a uh, key early season road matchup at Temple. 7 o'clock will be the tip, 6.30 the airtime here on 94.3 the game and 107.9 WNCT. All right, we uh, bring in Joe Sampson, Joey Football, as uh, we know him around these parts. Joe Sampson, by the way, will be uh, on the ECU Sports Radio Network Saturday as the studio host when uh, ECU takes on SMU. That's a 4 o'clock game in Greenville. But uh, Joey Football will be there relaying the uh, scores from around college athletics or from college basketball. I haven't heard you do a scoreboard. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear that. I don't, I'll don't. i be on TV, <laughs> so I won't be able to hear it, but I'd, I'd be anxious to hear that. So You'll have to go back and listen to it. I'll, I'll cut it up for I, you. I'll si- sign me up right now. I'll just go ahead and go ahead and pencil me in for that one. All right. Um, so Joey football, uh, college football season wrapped up last night. I'm asking all of our, uh, our, our great stalwart football analysts that we speak to and you're in that stable. What is, uh, what is the theme? What was the theme of the 2023 college football season? <sighs> Uh, that's a difficult one. I'd probably say running the football. This is a sport that has become so dependent on the air raid and the pass game and the vertical threats of receivers that this year we saw a lot of teams successfully moving the rock on the ground. And the early days of the triple option and the wishbone and the nasty set are, are gone, but now you're seeing these guys start to mix it in a lot more. We saw Washington, what they were able to do with their running back early on before he was injured again last night and then what Michigan's done all year which is have different guys find a way to find creases and gaps and and score off of cutbacks and and do all those things that running backs are supposed to do so that's what impressed me most especially considering what the running back market has been in the pro leagues that there's such a commodity to have a good running back these days interesting okay um hey uh that was the thing last night Michigan's your uh, national champ I kind of thought when we saw them uh, play ECU in the opener, that uh, this was the best team in the country, although I was really impressed with the way Washington uh, performed during the season and overcame uh, some adversity and uh, played a lot of close games and won. I was always impressed with Penix and their offense. Uh, he uh, had a tough time last night. Not that Michigan necessarily got to him, but they, they did enough of getting close enough to him to make him uncomfortable. He never really looked settled in last night. But this uh, Michigan team, I thought, was the best team. Now, they've certainly had a roller coaster year. We can get into all that. But uh, I don't think there's any disputing that uh, Michigan as the national champ is a worthy national champion. They're definitely the most deserving team, considering what occurred and all these different things that people have tried to write them off with and say that it's because of this or because of that. They've answered the beck and call every single time. I mean, Harbaugh gets to spend the last three games of the season, and their offensive coordinator steps in and guides them with a shaky flight, so to speak, to a nice smooth landing, and that's exactly what they did. But 
you can tell this was a very different team with Harbaugh on the sidelines than without. And we saw them get their best test, essentially, with Maryland, who Michael Loxley threw everything he had at him. And Michigan tried to lose that game three different times in the last two minutes, but they found a way to win. And there's never been a point in the season where I've questioned that if Michigan can do this or if they are going to be the team to beat. And even in the Ohio State game when I picked against them and last night when I picked against them in Alabama, they surprised me. And that's a difficult thing to do as the number one team in the nation to go out and surprise people every week with something you haven't seen before. Um, defensively, that, that's really where it was for Michigan. Uh, the getting gashing, uh, gashing Washington like they did in the beginning of the game uh, I don't want to say that's a bonus, but but sort of the way that they powered through and uh, and got those big runs early on uh, and went up. From that point on, it just seemed like even even though Washington made it on the scoreboard a game, it always seemed like Michigan had them at arm's length all night last night. Yeah, it felt that way from the jump. I mean, that first run when Edwards breaks a cutback, I think it was 48 yards or something like that, you could tell that the energy in the building had shifted. And it always seemed like Washington was playing from two scores behind, even when it was a touchdown game or they'd get a field goal on a successful drive. It felt like it was never going to be enough. So I think Michigan did a really good job controlling those situations, even on those instances where they gave up a a fourth down conversion or wanted a turnover and didn't get it or or gave up a flag. They were bending. They didn't break. I mean, only let up two touchdowns the entire game, which is an impressive feat, especially considering how high-powered Washington's offense has been for an entire year. And the fact that they held Washington to just 46 yards rushing, which I think was a season low for the Huskies, that's – that's, I mean, you talked about running the football is the uh, was was the theme in your mind of this season. Uh, Washington just couldn't get anything going, and and that really set up Penix for failure last night. Mm-hmm. I think the most. I guess the best way to say is it's the nicest way to look at what happened for them last night is they ran the ball on the goal line three different times to the right, two times with the running back, and then one time with Penix himself on a designed run. And it felt like everybody in that building knew how that play call was going to play out. So it's clear, (laughs) and you've seen it with how many different times now, that the best thing for a quarterback is to have a run game. And Zach Wilson struggled with it a little bit with Dalvin Cook this year. I mean, there's so many other quarterbacks without McCaffrey. It looked like Purdy at some times might have been in that same boat. And that's a guy who is – was the front runner in the MVP race, and I would go to Lamar Jackson and deservedly so. But without the running game, you're so one-dimensional that they can pick up on these small things and you don't have a way to counteract that. And I think that's what Penix experienced last night. Well, Joe, you kind of alluded to something there. I don't know if it was a Freudian slip or if you were being uh, clever, uh, or but, you know, that uh, everybody knew what was going to happen. Well, you know, that's the that's one of the things that with Michigan this year, the old uh, – the, the, their version of Spygate with uh, the guy that would put on costumes and go stand on sidelines uh, for, for Michigan, the grad uh, assistant or, or, or whatever. Does that, does, Harbaugh was defiant in saying that this, uh, you know, kind of uh, absol- absolves uh, the program of any sort of uh, wrongdoing or allegations of uh, skullduggery. Do you believe that that will be the taint, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the smell or the uh, mark, the asterisk that'll taint this season? Uh, 
In years past, I would have said yes, but in Houston, cheaters win championships. That's just what happens. I mean, the Astros still <laughs> fresh off their trash cans are getting heat from it. I think this will be something that a lot of teams will hold against them, but it'll never be a true asterisk. I don't think they'll vacate it because sign stealing in college football is what happens. Uh, you've heard these different stories about having to go to different boards or going to the huddle. I mean, every single team tries to seal signs. It's part of the game. It's not illegal. It's when you do it electronically or record it that people get into trouble. So that's what you're trying to right. do. It's why you watch film. You're trying to pick these things up. There's a clip from way back when about uh, A.J. Hawk or it might have been Clay Matthews watching uh, the Panthers, and he talks about Cam Newton. He's like, watch the wheel route, and he's like, oh, watch this. So that's that's part of the game. That's what you do. You try and find those little things to capitalize on. So I don't think it puts an asterisk on the season, but people will definitely question the character of that coaching staff. Yeah, no, undoubtedly. And, and uh, uh, that leads us to do you think Harbaugh will be back on the side sidelines in Ann Arbor next year? I, I think he will. I think had he lost wow, last okay. night, it would have been easier to step away. He kind of alluded to it a little bit on his post game. We talked about next year and, and what they were expecting from Michigan. I don't think he has that NFL coaching book currently. He's at his alma mater. You played quarterback there. He's delivered them their first national title in 20 something, maybe 30 something years. I'm not exactly sure the number off the top of my head. And, and that's what he'll have forever. He's built legacy. They're building that program. I don't see them making a change or him trying to part ways. I don't know if there's an NFL job that's enticing enough. For him to leave what he has in Michigan, they're going to be the number two team in the nation next year, if not number one, based on how you kind of measure them versus Georgia in that argument. So I don't see a reason for him to leave, especially with the portal now. You're basically an NFL coach week in, week out anyway. Yeah, uh, and he's getting paid pretty well and uh, will probably be able to be paid pretty well. I, I, and he, I think with Harbaugh, he's a defined enough character that he – kind of relishes the weirdness with the media that he, you know, kind of puts out there. I think he he doesn't mind going at the NCAA. He's happy to take them on. I mean, hell, they, they had him sit out two different stints this year, and they still won the national championship. So, I mean, I, I think in a way, the legend of Harbaugh and, and perhaps being a little bulletproof, as, as you've said here in the last couple of minutes in so many words, might be uh, there might be something to that. All right. Uh, you're going to, we're going to talk some pro ball with Joey football. I'm going to, I'm going to scoop I go. I'm going to scoop <laughs> I go's heat and, uh, we're going to get Joey football to pick some winners for this weekend from super wild card weekend. And, uh, there was some coaching changes today. Philip the ref Pilkington will have the very latest right now with an update and then we'll, uh, kick it around here on the PJ show with, uh, scoop Sampson, uh, talking some, uh, pro ball. All right, here is uh, the one and only Philip the Ref Pilkington with a 94-3 the game Sports Flash update and Pirate Report. Thank you, P-Man, starting in Pirate Athletics. The men's team will be back in action tomorrow when they travel up to the city of brotherly love to take on the Temple Owls. Yeah, good, good win. It's always good to get the first conference win of the season that's the most important thing and and obviously it was tulsa it was at home uh got a lot of respect for coach conkle and their program and, and what they do and they had a heck of a game the game before versus memphis and obviously we had a tough one versus florida atlantic but just the bottom line is to get your first conference win and, and to be one and one right now well 
They will try and build off that, and network coverage will start at 6.30 for that 7 o'clock tip. The new College Football Hall of Fame class was announced. 22 players and coaches will be inducted into the class of 2024. Two of them played collegiately right here in the state of North Carolina. Both went on to be drafted by the Carolina Panthers. It is former Appalachian State quarterback Amani Edwards and former Southern Nash product and UNC defensive end Julius Peppers. The Tennessee Titans have parted ways with head coach Mike Vrabel, who came to the team in 2018. He started his tenure there with four consecutive winning seasons. However, the last two seasons, they have failed to win more than seven games. He was the 2022 Coach of the Year. The Carolina Panthers have requested to interview nine head coaching candidates, most notably Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, who took the Falcons to Super Bowl 51. One of the big names left off that list, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash Update and Pirate Report on the other side of this time out we will have more with joey football as super wild card weekend approaches we have you covered with all the ecu news and beyond that you need for the drive home the patrick johnson show on 94.3 the game all right uh, welcome back in uh, Patrick Johnson, uh, with you as we uh, continue on here. Uh, we've held uh, Joe Sampson over, Joey Football. Philip the Ref Pilkington is also uh, producing here today, and I'm sure we'll chime in because Pilk, uh, Pilk is a uh, fancies himself as an expert. So why wouldn't we? No, Pilk is an expert. I shouldn't say he fancies himself as an expert. Appreciate it. Pat. All right. Um, yes. So there are a half dozen openings right now with the Mike Vrabel firing. First of all, were you – Surprised at the Vrabel firing in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, you had to be. This is a team that in his first four seasons goes to the playoff in four straight seasons, wins the division twice. Nobody was anticipating Mike Vrabel to get fired, a mutual parting of the ways, a buyout, something like that. You weren't expecting fired to come across that ticker, and it did, especially considering everything going on in New England right now and that 24-year marriage might be going to a divorce between Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick. You start to wonder, is that maybe the internal solution that isn't necessarily in the building but makes sense? I mean, Vrabel's in the ring of honor for the Patriots. He wore the red jacket at halftime at one point, so... I was definitely shocked by it. I wasn't necessarily shocked at him moving on, but I was shocked at how it transpired. Why are they waiting till next week in New England to have this meeting between Kraft and Belichick and whoever else? That, that's a great question. I mean, the time of it definitely doesn't yield itself to be one of those where you're like, that makes sense. Arthur Smith got fired nine minutes into Black Monday he was one of those guys that you were kind of teetering to get another shot. Robert Sala sticks around with another mulligan of a season because Rodgers goes down. So I don't understand how you're going to wait a week. Maybe you're letting the dust settle, seeing who's open, seeing who's not, trying to find some things out. Maybe there's something outside of that building they were waiting on, like the Vrabel fire, or firing, yeah. Or if Bill O'Brien wants to leave and, and try and do something else there, so you're trying to handle that internally. There's a lot of questions to answer, and I don't know if anybody has them, and that's going to be a point up until next week all right out of the six jobs that we know are open right now uh the tennessee titans today uh pilks carolina panthers the atlanta falcons that you referenced uh, the commandos after ron rivera got the gas raiders and chargers out of those six gay out of those six jobs what's the right now what's the best situation 
in your your opinion? What's the most? Uh, I'd have if you're coaching. I'd put one A, one B with the Chargers and the Falcons. Falcons are a quarterback away from being a generational offense. I think Ben Johnson makes a lot of sense down there. Get his guy in this draft. They pick before the Jets, who pick at ten. So if the Falcons get the, I think it's the eighth pick they have, they have their chance to pick their franchise quarterback. Could be a Jaden Daniels move. Could be a Bo Nix move. If you can get them to be firing in all cylinders, their defense wasn't terrible, took a step back, but I think that's a very enticing opportunity. And then the other side is Justin Herbert. I mean, you've got Justin Herbert who is sitting there waiting to be molded by an offensive mind. Ben Johnson could go out there as well, could be the OC from the Texans, could be the OC that was there this year for the Panthers. I mean, there's so many different offensive minds right now that have their kind of stranglehold on the NFL that could go and handle that, but I think those two are probably the top destinations. Least desirable. It's got to be the Panthers, That's the right? Panthers. Because of Tep- it's, um, yeah. No hesitation. It's the Panthers. I mean, Littlefield kind of destroyed every semblance of an organization you had with his trades. You trade DJ Moore for a bag of chips. You cut Cam Newton. You trade I don't know how many other people. You trade Christian McCaffrey. I don't even think you got a first rounder out of it. I mean, poor Phillips probably like screaming at me right now through the monitor because he knows these things to be true. You traded the farm for Bryce Hall and you end up with magic beans instead of a cow from Jack and the Beanstalk at this point. (laughs) Your roster is irreparable. You should have traded Brian Burns when you had the chance. Your only bright side is Derek Brown who broke the single season D tackles tackling record in the NFL. And and even then, is he going to stick around in two years when he's no longer on his rookie deal? There's so many questions to answer in Carolina. I don't know if they get their definite answer this year. If it were not for the ownership change in Washington, uh, that'd be a close competitor. But uh, I think with the ownership change, they're they're showing signs of legitimately wanting to just turn mm-hmm. this thing around in uh, in Washington. Um, Pilk, before I wrap up some stuff with Joey Football, do you agree with all that he said? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, obviously the Panthers. I could sit here and talk about David Tepper all day. We're not going to get into that, but. Um, I would. I agree with the one A one B with the Chargers Falcons. I'm going to take the Chargers slightly above the Falcons just solely because, again, the Falcons well, got are the quarterback that quarterback. Already. Exactly, and, and Justin yeah. Herbert and their yeah. defense. Yeah, and Justin Herbert. Look, he, he's a franchise quarterback. He's already proven that he's going to continue to be that. You just need the right guy. Kellen Moore could see a promotion. It wouldn't totally surprise me. I don't think it'll happen, but you never know. But uh, like I said, Atlanta. That offense, man. B. John Robinson, Drake, London, Kyle Pitts. Um, it's a great place. Maybe this uh, next coach will uh, love fantasy football a little more than Arthur Smith, and we'll see Bijan and uh, my guy Kyle Pitts get something because I've got him on two more years of a contract, and I need Kyle Pitts touchdowns. <laughs> yes. All right. There you go. Uh, all right. Let me uh, let me ask you. We, we started uh, the coaching portion of this uh, chat with uh, you know what what may or may not happen with Belichick. Uh, does he wind up in any of these openings, in your your opinion? If he parts ways, I could see him going to L.A. I think him to the Chargers makes a lot of sense. Young franchise quarterback who needs that chance to develop under somebody. But a defense that is probably one of the best in the league if Brandon Staley wouldn't have had his foot in his mouth the entire year calling the defense. Khalil Max over there. You've got Joey Bosa. You've got Kenneth Murray as a linebacker. You signed or you traded back for uh, JC Jackson. So now you've got that pick. You can go and get somebody else. I mean, there's so much youth over there as well as seasoned veteran guys defensively that I think Belichick wouldn't mind taking over. 
But it could also be time for him to ride into the sunset. Maybe he goes down to Tuscaloosa with his best friend Nick Saban, coaches defense for a few years there, and and tries to find that love for the game again. I mean, it, it takes a lot to be the coach that he wants to be in 24 years in one place. You're going to have baggage on both sides. So he probably knows a lot of skeletons that are buried in some closets, and Robert Kraft probably knows there's some bodies buried in his backyard. So it'll be a lot to find out. I don't know if he wants to keep coaching or not. Joey Football, uh, he is piece. wait. He is ten wins away from Don Shula. He will coach next year. He okay, is going yeah. he, to do everything he can. Yeah, he's yeah, ten he, away yeah. from Don. He's going to try. I'm not saying he's going to take him, but not. he's going to try. Treat or not, I think uh, the Chargers make a lot of sense because mm-hmm. he stays in the AFC. You've already got that quarterback. That makes a lot of sense. We'll see. All right, uh, it is Super Wild Card Weekend. Not Wild Card Weekend. Super. Wild card weekend. Um, you guys do picks with Igo every uh, Friday. I'm scooping his heat, and we're going to do our, our own picks here right now. Tough stuff, Igo. I got him first. Uh, Browns Texans at 4:30 on Saturday in the uh, wild card round in the uh, AFC. A resurgent Cleveland Browns team, and uh, I think perhaps one of the best coaching jobs. Uh, done in Houston uh, this year. Uh, who do you got and why Joey Football? Uh, this is the Coach of the Year Bowl, by the way. Whoever wins this, I think, wins Coach of the Year. And I think it's going to be Stefanski. I don't think the Texans have that kind of experience in the building to know how to handle the playoffs like this. I mean, Case Keenum's probably their most experienced player that you can lean to and say, how do we handle this? And he hasn't been great in the playoffs. But Stefanski knows what he has to do. He knows how to handle these things. He's been around great coaches himself. If Joe Flacco can do what Joe Flacco does and Cooper can come back, I see no reason that the Browns don't win this one. So I'd take Cleveland 28 and the Texans 17. Cleveland winning. All right, uh, do you agree with that, Philip the Ref Pilkington? I do. I think the Texans have relied too much on explosion plays this year. They cannot sustain drives really well, and the Cleveland Browns do not allow a lot of explosion plays. They make teams play behind the sticks and, and dwindle their defense down, and I think the Texans struggle to do that. All right. Uh, this may be a three-segment show today, Pilk, by the way. Uh, all right. Quickly, Dolphins Chiefs Saturday night. Uh, I'm a little torn on this because the Dolphins are finesse, but this is not vintage Kansas City, So, but they're at home. Uh, Pilk. I'm going to go KC in this one. All right. Scoop Sampson. Dolphins suck against teams above 500. This is going to be their next test. I don't know if McDaniels necessarily knows how to beat these chess matches of teams as opposed to scoring 70 on Igos Broncos. So give me the Chiefs, mm. and I think Mahomes returns to form. I guess we have to listen right, to this uh, game on the radio. No one will be able to watch it on TV. So listen on, on the radio. It's on the cock. It's on Peacock. On the cock. Don't don't get me fired up about it. I mean, you're having the Swifties buy it. It's a genius business move. But the hardworking football fans who have waited all year for this, I don't want to watch Jason Garrett call this thing with Chris Collinsworth's son. (laughs) Nobody does. Uh, All right, Steelers-Bills Sunday. Uh, Joey Football, who you got and why? Quickly. 
This is going to fire some people up. I'm taking the Steelers. I, I think this is the team that knocks the Bills what? back off their pedestal. I think there's too much momentum riding on the Bills that they hit a flat line. And without T.J. Watt, they're going to shift their focus to Alex Highsmith, and he's going to have a career night. Von Miller has more arrests this year than he does sacks. That's all i got to say. <laughs> all right. Uh, Pilk, quickly. He's taking the Steelers, and I'm taking his drug dealer's phone number because he's got a good one if he's picking the Steelers. <laughs> Give me the Bills. <laughs> All right, Packers-Cowboys, uh, Sunday at 4.30. Packers win again. They don't beat the Cowboys. They're, the Cowboys don't win at home in the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. Nah, da- da- Dallas will win this one. Nah. I, I agree with Pilk there. I think the cow the Cowboys win this one. Um, all right, uh, Sunday night Rams Lions, which uh, to me I think uh, is one of the most intriguing games of the weekend. Uh, who do you got and why, Joey? Football. Lions win thirty one twenty eight. Stafford tries to take a little two minute drive down the field, throws a pick, and sends the Lions one last thank you for all of his time there. And the Lions get their first playoff win in over thirty years. I agree with you, uh, Joey Football Pilk. Anyone who knows me knows I love Matthew Stafford, but the Lions are a better football team. Teams win mm-hmm. games. Players don't win games. Give me Detroit. All right. Uh, and then Monday night, Eagles Buccaneers. Woof. Uh, who, who do you got and why, uh, Pilk? Mark Miller, your boys bounce back. They're the better team. Mark Miller has been struggling since Thanksgiving Day. Fly, Eagles, fly. Give me the Eagles. You just lied right. to Mark on national radio. I you did. just lied. National radio. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Gary national radio. We're on the app. We're on the app. We're on the app. We're platforms. everywhere. Yeah. We're on we, YouTube. We watch. That's national. Right. That's global. We're, we're global. double uranium, y'all. All right. Uh, what do you got, uh, Joey uh, Football? I got the Buccaneers. This is where Baker Mayfield does Baker Mayfield things, and the Eagles are in a free fall. It's clear. They might even fire Sirianni. Who knows? Give me the Bucks. Okay. Will you guys revise these picks for Igo, or you just repeat? Can he just repeat this segment and do that on Friday? He, and all he could. Good? He could yeah, just repeat could. the segment. Yeah. Take the show off. He could. <laughs> yeah, that's what he what he should probably do. Exactly. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, nice stuff. Nice work there, uh, fellers. Uh, Pilk, this will be a three segment show. So now you get out even earlier. I do. Thank you, Patrick. I enjoy How about football. that? I enjoy it. Yeah. Get me home there before this wind gets too bad. Uh, thanks to David Sawyer for uh, being on with us from Storm Team 9. Do be careful out there, uh, folks, because it is uh, rough. And uh, let me see, uh, anything uh, else, Joey Football, that you want to say here as we we wrap up the show? Any any other nuggets that you want to bestow upon us here? Hmm. Uh, Michigan's a bunch of cheaters. The Astros are a bunch of cheaters. <laughs> Yankees are going to sign Marcus Stroman because why not? Uh, Juan Soto's back. The Jets are back. Devontae Adams will be a New York Jet. Heard here first. There's my breaking news of the day. Scoop Sampson. Uh, I need to go see a seamstress and flip my Zach Wilson jersey, the two to a five, so that way I can repurpose it because, you know, Nike isn't making these things any cheaper. So uh, go Jets. Hey, I do have one thing I want to say to Joe. When it comes to you talking mm-hmm. about the cheaters, if Houston gets an NHL team, you guys have to get rid of your cheaters never win slogan when somebody That's gets fair. a penalty That's because fair. they will find a way to cheat and win. Just saying. 100%. Is that going to happen, the trash cans. No, I'm just saying that because the Hurricanes always say cheaters never win when the other team commits um, a penalty. And no, there's no talk of expansion to Houston. I was just being a smart butt. 
Houston trash cans sponsored by Waste Management. <laughs> I love it. Where would, uh, if you were to have an NHL expansion, where would that be, Pilk? Uh, somewhere in the right Quebec now. province, I think. Probably Quebec City. Yeah, you probably got to go back to Quebec City. Yeah, that's what I'd think. Okay. Could go to Utah. Could. Like Lake Tahoe? One of each, because an Eastern Conference, one Western Conference. Yeah, be right. so. mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, thanks, Joey Football. Good to talk to you. We'll, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. And uh, you, can watch, you can watch Joey Football uh, or listen to Joey Football with Igo coming up Friday. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be previewing uh, ECU and uh, Temple on the hardwood, and we'll have a uh, preview of uh, the ACC matchup between uh, North Carolina and NC State with Brett Friedlander from Saturday Road. Have a great uh, rest of your evening. Be safe out there, folks. Mm-hmm.